welcome to Becoming Whole podcast. I am your host, Claire Bradshaw, a life coach and a yoga and meditation teacher. Join me as I explore with my guests what it means to live a life of wholeness and connectedness, a life where all parts of ourselves, our body, mind and spirit come together into alignment, where we're truly living into our own personal values and the fullest expression of who we are. So if you're a seeker, a feeler and someone wanting more from your precious life, then tune in every fortnight and let's grow together. Hello and welcome to episode number 41 with Claire on the Becoming Whole podcast. And today I am really excited because I got to speak to Marika Knight, who is a Melbourne-based mindfulness meditation teacher. And interestingly, she's also an ex-lawyer. So she comes from a place of um, having worked within the corporate environment, being quite stressed, and has found in her own personal experience that mindfulness has really helped her manage the kind of stresses of the day-to-day. And um, her passion really comes from helping others discover strategies to improve their lives as well. And she's dedicated about 10 years to facilitating programs in mindfulness-based stress reduction, mindful leadership, resilience, raising awareness, and emotional intelligence, just to name a few. And she's worked across both the public and the private sector. So places like BHP Billiton, NAB, Melbourne Storm, Lonely Planet, you know, many different organizations. And she has an incredible ability of mixing science with the work that she does. So it's really accessible and she explains everything in a really easy to understand way that's super relatable. So I think that you're going to get so much out of this episode. I really look forward to hearing about what you think about the episode and and what the key takeaways are for you and how you can start applying some of the things that we talk about into your own life. Um, something that I've found on my own personal journey um, to wholeness is um, when I learn new things and something resonates with me. Rather than just receiving it, taking it in and making it become knowledge, but how I can actually transfer and transform that into some action. So actually taking one action based on something that I've read, something that I've listened to, because really, truly, that's where the change happens. That's where the transformation happens. So send me a message or tag me in a post on Instagram and let me know what it is that you're committing to in terms of your own personal practice, any key takeaways that you've taken from this episode, because truly that's where you're going to see the biggest impacts happening in your own life. And the beautiful thing is, is when we start to share what we're doing, we inspire others. When we take full responsibility for our lives and how we show up, that's where the big changes start to happen. So send me a message, tag me on a post. My handle is underscore Claire Bradshaw underscore. Okay, let's get to the interview. Hi, Marika. Great to have you on the show today. So great to be here. Awesome. So I've been talking a lot about morning routines. So I'd love to hear about how you start your day and how you set yourself up. Well, um, I would like to say that it um, is a stock standard routine that I stick to daily, but with a 14-month-old, my lovely, you know, mindfulness practitioner routine has is, is kind of changed a lot. Um, so realistically, some of the things that I really like to, um, you know, stick to in the morning routine is, is making sure that no matter what I'm doing, there's awareness with it. Um, so... It's funny, there was a time in my life where I would be quite rigid with, you know, it was 20 minutes of this and it was this, this and this and I felt like that that was an interesting thing. Like it was great for the time of life that I was in but I know that with Luca, my 14-month-old my, my and my husband and all of the stuff that we have going on, things are constantly in flux. So my morning routine has to be in flux. And I guess if I was to think about what the element is that is definite is that I wake up every morning with awareness to how I'm feeling. So I tune into my body and go, am I tired? Did we have a terrible night last night? Did we have a great night last night? And start from there rather than just that kind of habitual routine. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's, that's a really important element for me is whenever I notice I'm getting rigid around something, then that can sometimes be just as detrimental so yeah it's the waking up and the 
just checking in. The second one, which is so important for me, is the checking in with my husband and, and my son. Um, so rather than, again, just being on that default mode of all the things that need to get done in the day, and it's very easy with a, with a little boy to be on Groundhog Day and just know that then there's nappy change, there's this, that and the other, but it's really so important to me to have that human connection so it's turning around to my husband and and really having that moment with him where it's like how how did you sleep what's the day feeling like for you and bringing our son into the bed and and having just even even if it's two minutes of just connecting in as a family so they are the two most important things um, water is a huge thing I have to always have a massive glass of water at the beginning of the day I used to practice, but now, you know, life becomes a practice. So it's how I relate to my son and not noticing when my mind is just getting into that racing through things to do and just pulling back and going, what have I got right now in front of me? So I guess that's, it's, it's a very basic routine these days, but it works. It works for me and it's kind. Beautiful. That's, that's so, that's so lovely because I totally agree. I think sometimes we can just get caught up with, oh, you know, I need to do, yeah, 20 minutes of this and then 10 minutes of that. Mm. And then, yeah, it almost does become like this habitual thing and then we actually lose the very essence of why are we even doing it. Um, yeah, totally. And it can become stressful because it just becomes another lot of things in our list of things to do. And although we know that they're beneficial, like there's no doubt that doing all of them are beneficial, it's just how much can we humans take in our day? And sometimes the most beneficial thing could be to just stop and, go what's right for me right now yeah 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 and I really like that how you check in with self and then you mm. check in with the people your, your important people so yeah. I think that's a beautiful thing awesome so let's talk about um mindfulness and your journey to mindfulness um you know I've I've obviously met you a number of years ago and I loved our interaction and um you know you did talk about your story then and I think it's such a beautiful representation of how you know things have evolved for you so can you kind of go back in time as to what led you to mindfulness well yeah I mean it's funny I feel like it's one of those things where perhaps it was mindfulness that found me in a, in a way but it started way back when I was 18 um, and you know studying um, at, at, at school and I was, you know, a real high-performing A-type type personality that wanted to get into law school and I was suffering like terribly with trichotillomania. So I don't know whether you know trichotillomania. It's where you pull out your eyelashes and your eyebrows, you pull out your hair. So I had such an extreme amount of anxiety about, you know, where my life was going at the age of 18 that, you know, I literally was led to I had only half my eyebrows and half my eyelashes. And so my mum like, well, said, maybe we should go to the doctor and just see what's going on there. And the doctor suggested a yoga class. Wow. Um, and I feel like it, it, back then, that was 1999, yoga, um, there weren't many places in Melbourne. There was this funny guy on Chapel Street and that's who I went to. And he was all woo-woo. It was, you know, incense and singing bowls, but he... It was a very slow yoga class. It wasn't like the vinyasa that we, we know today. And it was one of those amazing encounters of like that first time of recognising, you know, that this, this changed how I was feeling almost instantly. And so that was my first introduction, I guess. I thought it was yoga, but it was the mindfulness that was a real element for me that there's a thread throughout my whole journey with, with this stuff. But then like fast forward to, you know, I started using it a lot through my law degree and right up into when I became a lawyer and I was working in a law firm and I remember, you know, a law partner walking in and asking me what I'd done on the weekend and I um, told him that I'd been at this mindfulness or this meditation retreat and he literally looked at me like I was like from another planet or that I was going to hold his hands and sing Kumbaya or do something really wacky and it was so interesting to me at that moment so it, it's just this interesting like thing that I've been kind of journeying and it was really from there that I started to think well hang on this is an amazing tool that's not really being very well explained or related to and that's kind of what just really 
set me on this trajectory to, you know, wanting to actually pursue mindfulness and, and the science and the evidence-based nature of it, um, you know, and I've done that for the last 10 years now. Oh, wow. So that's one aspect, I guess. Yeah, of, yeah, of what, what happens and what evolves. Mm. And, mm. and, and so did that make you then start to think, wow, like so many people within this space could benefit from this practice? Yeah, and look, uh, the other massive catalyst was in 2010 when I'd already done my yoga teacher training and I already was kind of on that that pathway, but then I lost my father to suicide. And that was the the complete catalyst for me to leave my career, to, to move into this space because I was using these tools. I was using every tool in my toolkit to deal with the loss of someone to suicide and, you know, the loss of my father to suicide and it was helping me to manage and I was around a lot of people at that point that had also been bereaved by suicide and they weren't, wasn't that they weren't coping as well, but they didn't have the tools to alleviate some of the pain uh, and to address maybe the, the, the things like shame and all the stuff that kind of come up with suicide. So that to me was like the the life impacting moment where I was like, this is now what I'm doing for the rest of my life. Yeah, yeah. And I can imagine that would, you know, that would have really shaken you up completely mm. in terms of asking yeah. those kind of like questions and big yeah. questions in life where you then start to look at everything in your life and see what really truly is important. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and so tell me about your um, mindfulness training. So because you went over to the States, didn't you, and you actually met mm. one of the kind of fathers of mindfulness. Mm. And, um, so tell me about kind of like what that training was and um, what it was like to meet um, John Kabat-Zinn. Yeah, well, oh, again, like it feels like that was such a universal thing because I'd, I'd, I'd found him in like 2010 maybe um, and thought, wow, this is a guy that's so relatable. Like he's doing mindfulness in a way that I, I could definitely teach to that that lawyer that came in and thought I was a weird woo-woo chick. Um, and then just did his MBSR in Melbourne, you know, and then I started doing Vipassanas and I started doing all this stuff. And when I just started to, um, you know, look online uh, as to the next kind of pathway, um, I just saw that he happened to be in China. And I didn't know at this point that for years and years in advance, a lot of these, these, these retreats that he would do would be booked out. Like in America, any of these retreats would be booked out for years and people were trying to get on them. And here was I, 10 days out from this China thing and I sent an email off to the person in China and said um, can I join and they said well it's sold out but we've we've got five positions open funnily enough to Westerners and the rest is just mainland Chinese people there was like 300 people there mm -hmm. and they said you can come and so 10 days out from this retreat I'm getting Chinese passports I'm like visas and I, I'm off I'm on a plane and I didn't really even recognize how bigger deal that was until I got there and, and realized that I was there with like only people that basically spoke Chinese like from Hong Kong from you know mainland China and Taiwan and then there was me and like two other Westerners and because of that it meant that I basically got solid access to John and Saki Santorelli for the whole 10 days which is just like unheard of like I sat at the table to eat dinner I yeah it was just the most remarkable experience and and having that opportunity to kind of really meet with him and even just like we would we'd be listening and they'd, there'd be all these translators translating into all sorts of different um, languages or dialects. Um, and I had the English headphones on and I could hear John and Saki on the stage just interacting together and they were just the most profoundly amazing moments where these two people who'd been, you know, teaching my since the 70s were just bringing it to the world and 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 talking about how they were going to move into the next segment and yeah I mean it was just pro profound and I just felt so lucky because it was my first introduction into the training and then after that I was just off so I remember chatting to John and saying oh, I think I want to do the training he's like well we've got another training in San Fran next so it just kind of it just happened and then I, I've been training with um, UMass and now Brown University ever since.
Amazing, amazing. And so I'd love to hear more about MBSR and kind of what that is versus, you know, when someone talks about like I'm doing some mindfulness practice, like what's the difference? Yeah, so I guess I, I would call mindfulness-based stress reduction like the gold standard of program because one, it's an eight-week program. It's something that was developed in the 70s and it was developed out of a hospital. Um, and um, they, it, it's, I guess the essence of it is the practice and there is a very strict requirement of doing 45 minutes a day and really embedding it into your, into your life. And I think what we know with the neuroscience behind mindfulness is that you need to put in a significant amount of practice to start mm -hmm. to change the neural pathways. Mm -hmm. um, and the MBSR was the first and the only real um, course that's been properly scientifically measured for a 40-year period and that's what's made mindfulness kind of become what it has today mm -hmm. because they constantly you know would check in with these participants that were doing the eight-week program at the beginning and the end and really view uh, you know start to look at their brain activity look at the way that they were interacting and um yeah develop this program that was really evidence-based so mm -hmm. it's the gold standard in that way um it's got heart, it's got essence of, you know, Buddhist roots, but it's very much secular and available to everyone, which makes mm -hmm. it great as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, um, and so what is really happening to the brain when you start to practice mindfulness regularly? So you said 45 minutes, obviously that's quite a chunk of time. Mm -hmm. um, is that kind of more initially 45 minutes and then after that, like more like a 20 minute practice or something like that? Yeah, so I think what it, the best way to kind of think about it is, you know, um, that in terms of muscles um, in your body. So if you thought about if you broke your arm um, and you were in a cast for six weeks and then you kind of had to, you got out of your cast and then you went to pick up a cup or, or do something, your muscles quite in atrophy. And what we know about the prefrontal cortex or the part of the brain, which is our kind of awareness now, our mindfulness part of the brain, um, is that it's kind of in atrophy too because we spend so much of our time in autopilot and so much of our time thinking about the future and thinking about the past. So it's really in atrophy. So it's hard to begin with. So if we were to think about that arm, we'd need to put in 45 minutes of physio daily to really get it back to a place where it's, you know, able to remember things. And that's the same as our brain. We need to give it a significant, like, kickstart before we start to just remember it naturally in our day like I could say now having practiced for 20 years mindfulness is a normal state of being for me it, there's there's more times that I'm in mindfulness state of being or remind myself to come back than than not whereas for the average person who hasn't practiced it before it's our natural tendency to be off in the future and off in the past so the 45 minutes is really about putting in that time to build the muscle mm. so that we remember it more throughout our day. Yeah. Does that make, that does makes, that explain that? Yeah, that makes perfect mm. sense. And like, what do you find? I mean, running the MBSR courses, um, and I'm going to give you like a little example. So like I work with clients one-to-one, -one, I work on a four month program with them and you know we start you know with some like you know healthy habits um, and you know a lot of it is kind of like that brain training because when you start mm. to do something that's good for you whether it's you know changing your diet or whether it's starting to have a little meditation practice or breathing or whatever the thing is that resistance comes up mm. you know mm. and then the little voice that says oh, I'm too tired today or there's not enough time or maybe tomorrow. And like, mm. how do you find working with people when they come across this, particularly at the start? Because after a while, like you're saying, the muscle builds up and then it's like it just becomes, you know, what you do. It becomes part of you. You mm. embody it. But mm. at the start, it feels very separate and it can sometimes create a lot of challenge. So how do you work with people on that? Oh, that's such a great question and I think there's a couple of different aspects to it. One is the how we meet the discomfort and the challenge of kind of, you know, routine or the things that come up for like, you know, particularly a mindfulness practice, like to sit down and not do 
is so hard for us. There's so much resistance because we kind of keep ourselves busy a lot of the time. And sometimes to come and sit down is to open up to what's really going on for us. And so there's so much resistance in that because it's deeply uncomfortable. And unfortunately, the tendency of us humans these days is not to really want to dwell in discomfort terribly much. Um, so I guess the, the first element is, yeah, how do we work with participants with when they're coming to sit with that kind of challenge of not doing? And that's pretty much, to me, what mindfulness is all about, is actually how do we meet discomfort in our life? How do we meet that kind of that? And, and to me, a lot of it is around this idea or notion of kindness. How can we allow it and turn towards it and, and let it be and, and work with it in a, in a different way to what we're used to? Mm. So I guess that's the that's the first element. Oh, th yeah, that kind of I, does that explain that in a, in, a, yeah. in a sense? Like, yeah, it, it does. And I think you know what you're saying as well, and what I get is to actually be talking to this. It's like this actually may happen for you. Like the sense, yeah. And actually, it doesn't mean you're not able to do it. It's just a part of the mind that's you know. And to actually bring these things into the openness and just be have the frank conversation. It. Mm, makes people it normalizes it I think I think yes I think that that's a really important part of it and I think what I notice when I get into a room of you know a 22 individuals that are currently doing my MBSR is everyone thinks they're the only one that can't do it so they all rock up on that second week and they're all feeling all of this guilt and this you know trepidation around I'm an anxious type person so I can't do it or my mind's going nuts and so everyone's so and what we find as we sit together and we talk is it's a human experience mm -hmm. to come up against this resistance to come up against the challenge to come up against the pressure of I'm not enough I need to do more like mm -hmm. all of it's human and there's something beautiful that happens when we all sit together and recognize that because yeah. it kind of takes the pressure off and once the pressure is off I feel like then we start to do from a much more kind place mm -hmm. and when we're coming from a kind place it doesn't feel so resistant because we're doing what we know we need to do to nourish ourselves yeah. so it just takes it out of that space of I'm doing this to be better to I'm doing this to take care and to come home to myself yeah a much more loving place rather than this place of like I have to or should I must you know those yeah. things, what do they do to the body they make you feel tight and constricted that's they it make you feel relaxed and open um, that's it yeah so true and um, because you talked a little bit about vipassana and mm. um, i did a vipassana in march and yeah. i found that to be really incredibly interesting because mm. there were people from all different walks of life there you know some people were regularly meditating or doing yoga so you know they were familiar i mean obviously 10 hours a day is pretty intense brutal isn't it um, yeah brutal for 10 days and no speaking and all of the things and withdrawing your identity essentially obviously that is quite complex mm. Um, but, you know, there were people there who, um, you know, were addicted to drugs or alcohol and were kind of coming to it from a place of like completely cutting off from all of that stuff for 10 days. Mm. And it's like, mm. wow, thinking mm. of this feeling of resistance and the craving mm. and all of these types of things, mm. how intense that must be to go through mm. experience and just be on your mm. own. You can't even really talk to many people about your experience. Totally. And I think it's really interesting, like this craving and aversion that we kind of all face, like whether it's at that kind of extreme level of um, addiction. But to be honest, I feel like for all of us, like that, that intense level of craving and aversion we constantly have when we come to sit, when we come to, you know, say that we want to have a healthy habit and we can't do it, we want it so bad. So there's the craving, but we don't like the experience. So, you know, as humans, it's our tendency to constantly be in that craving and averted like pattern. And yeah, I mean, it's fascinating, don't you think, to go through it in a Vipassana where you get to watch it in such a uh, isolated way and yeah. gain so much insight into the mind-body connection and what we can do to ourselves from that wanting and that aversion and that not allowing things to just be as they are. Yeah. You know, it's oh fascinating. It was, it's amazing. It's, it's an absolute gift. And um, to actually feel the physical sensations in the mm. body 
of the discomforts and mm. then the feelings that feel like a nicer sensation and then notice how the mind responds mm. to that, whether it wants mm. more of that nice sensation or it wants to move and get away from that not so nice um, mm. sensation. Like I had three days, like I was being strangled. Mm. And I mean, that was like, I had like issues with my throat. Like I, I know just being touched around my throat kind of makes me feel a bit. Mm. And so to have three yeah. days, you know, obviously it's all coming up in the uh, depression. Yeah. Three days of feeling like I'm being strangled. Yeah. Equally um, uncomfortable, but knowing that everything is impermanent and knowing mm. that just to sit with it and allow and watch it then dissolve. Mm. And I did it in the, new, um, the Blue Mountains. And then mm. in the morning we had breakfast, looking out onto the mountains and mm. seeing the, the external representation of the nature of impermanence. Because every day yeah. the weather was different. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was just yeah. brilliant, amazing. It's profound in that way. And I think it's interesting. So the markers of existence, you know, John Kabat-Zinn talks about them in a different way to the Buddhists. Like, you know, obviously the markers of existence are that there is suffering. Like we have that constant aversion and craving and it creates a lot of suffering for us. And then the second one is that there is impermanence and the third is no self. But John Kabat-Zinn has his own little spin and it's that shit happens, things change, don't take it so personally. And it's such a beautiful thing to bring even to those experiences that, you know, that strangling, like the, 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 the knowing that it, it was going to, it's going to change, like it can't stay like that forever. Mm. And then that, like the tendency of us to be so personal, like the, the kind of the dramatization of it and, oh my God, what's going to happen? Maybe I remember I was sitting for a while and I had convinced that I was breaking my knees, that my knees were never going to be the same again. And I'd become so personal with it. And yeah, yeah it's just fascinating using those markers of resistance and using impermanence and using that, like that not taking it so personally wow. to kind of find that spaciousness that, yeah, you yeah. can, and it's brilliant, you know. Yeah, for sure. But, and mm. I think as well, um, there's a certain um, softening that happens when you realise that mm. everything does change. Mm. Because then if you're able to really grasp that, then you can then, in your day-to-day, -day, when stuff happens and you can feel that physical sensation of wanting to react, whatever, that you realise, no, actually, you know, everything shifts, everything changes, I don't know. That's need. it. Um, yeah, and it is, and it's a really like I see it as that kind of leaning back and that that yeah that real surrender to kind of what what what's going on, and that just feels like such a more easeful place to be operating from, you know. For sure, you feel yeah. it in your body. Mm. Exactly, exactly. So good. Um. So I would love it if you could share a little mindfulness practice with the listeners oh. so that they can have a bit of an experience within their own body. So Great. listeners who are, who are um, listening to this podcast, if you are driving or anything, obviously don't do this practice and um, maybe just save it and, um, and listen at a time when you're, um, when, you know, you can sit and have a bit of um, space for yourself. So over to you. And, you know, I would even say that if you are driving or you are doing something, because I know that when we watch podcasts, we tend to be in motion because that's our nature, um, that you can do it with your eyes open. And it's still that, you know, with these practices, we can be so hard and fast about it. And what I'm learning with Luca is that, you know, sometimes we have to practice with our eyes open and doing stuff. So, you know, that's an invitation to um, obviously don't pay attention to the instruction of close your eyes if you're driving. <laughs> but like, you know, I think it, given what we've been talking about, it might be nice just to do a practice that feels into our body and notices mm -hmm. where there's points of tension right. and not. So that's an invitation to anyone who is doing, you could still potentially explore that. Um, so for those who are going to actually do a proper practice, you might just want to uncross your legs if you're sitting in a chair and just make sure your spine is, you know, somewhat upright or if you're lying on a bed, just, you know, Doing your, doing your thing and you can close your eyes if that feels comfortable because sometimes closing the eyes can just help to bring to uh, more awareness the other sensations and senses that are occurring. Um, and then let's just start by taking a few really deep conscious breaths. 
So just breathing in through the nose, really seeing if you can fill the belly. Breathing out long and slow and steady. So just using these three breaths as a real reset with that knowledge that just three breaths can be enough to start to change our physiology, to start to move us from sometimes a, a overly responsive state, sympathetic state into parasympathetic or rest and digest. So just one more deep breath in, down, into the belly and out. And then literally just starting to bring to awareness the body either lying or sitting, maybe walking. And just see if you can do a gentle scan from the top of the head down, noticing first the muscles of the face and just aware of what's going on there. The jaw, is it tight or is it relaxed? The eyes, are they, you know, clenched or are they softly closed? Just aware of the muscles of the neck, and it might be that you can actually soften the shoulders away from the ears more or maybe the tension is there and it's, it's, it's not movable at this point and that's okay too. Working down along or into the chest in the belly region and just aware of any tightness here. And again, maybe there's an invitation here to allow the next couple of breaths to be met with a softening, a softening belly, a sense of openness of the chest. Aware of all the places where the body is touching the chair or the bed. Perhaps aware of the weightedness of the body. And again, maybe there's a possibility to give yourself over a little more to the chair just really allowing yourself to be fully supported you might take that all the way down to the soles of the feet just aware of what's at the soles of the feet or the palms of the hand just awake to everything that you're experiencing in the body and you'll have noticed already that the mind will wander and that's what minds do. And there is absolutely no reason to be upset or uh, concerned about the nature of the wandering mind. But when you notice that the minds wander, just if you can, gently and kindly returning the attention back to my voice, to the sensations in the body, And just starting with this next inhalation, this next moment. And just starting to draw the attention back up to the breath, perhaps at the passage of air at the nostrils and just get a sense of maybe you can feel the sensation of air just hitting the nostrils. And just working a few breaths with the sensation of air right at the nostrils and just seeing if you can place your attention there and keep the attention there. And when the mind wanders, you can just gently and kindly bring it back to the next inhalation or the next exhalation. And just simply working one breath at a time. Good, and then in a moment we will bring the practice to a close just by taking a few deeper, more conscious breaths again. So just perhaps breathing with that full intent to fill the body, fill the whole body with air. And even an audible sigh out. <sighs> One more time, just breathing in nice and deeply. Just acknowledging this Reset and breathing out. And then if you have closed your eyes, just opening your eyes again. 
So I guess that's just a kind of a, a bit of a practice that's something that I would do in the morning, like a, a similar kind of way that I would start my morning is to just tune in and go, well, what's here right now? You know, take a few breaths for reset with that knowledge that breath can really change um, our whole nervous system response and, and moving on. You can tell it's not a, it's not a difficult kind of practice. Yeah, and mm. that's only about five minutes. Mm. Um, so I was joining in on that and just taking that five minutes to just check in with the body, take some conscious breaths can completely change how you feel. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it doesn't take a lot of time um, for sure. So thank you for sharing that on your iPad. And I think that that is a really, really important thing to note that I think sometimes we can, even just the way we set that up, I was like, oh, you know, set this aside for another time. I think we've got to change that mm -hmm. because the reality is we don't have a lot of time and we're working against the clock in our lives because we're so busy and we're, we're you know, we live this hectic life. And so if we can see our practices as times when we're already doing stuff, like if you're standing in line getting a coffee instead of picking up the phone, can you just do that body scan? Mm -hmm. If you are on the tram and you're, you know, commuting, is it possible to do it with your eyes open? You know, there are plenty of times in our day where we can find five minutes where we might just be thinking about that next thing that needs to get done and, and there would be a lot more benefit to just doing something like that. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I think as well, just changing the mindset around like this is an investment in self mm. and your overall happiness, your overall feelings of wellness. It, mm. you know, as time goes on, as you continue to practice this, the awareness grows. And so, you know, you do have more awareness over your relationships and how you behave, mm. all of that. So it actually it affects everything. <laughs> um, and, um, and something I wanted to actually raise with you, and it's something that's come up in some of the workshops that I've run. Um, so I've done quite a lot of workshops with, you know, busy lawyers, actually, and, yeah. uh, you know, corporates. And one of the yeah. things that's come up quite a lot, which I think is just fascinating, but also a little bit makes me quite sad, is this feeling of, I don't know who I am without strength. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And if I'm not stressed, I will fail. And what mm. is it about me? Mm. Yeah, it's interesting, I think, definitely in the corporate sector, but I think actually just across the board, like we're just so familiar now with the state of adrenaline and cortisol in the body and using it in every way whether it's creating good habits, whether it's it's all in this effort to be better. You know, we're, we're so much striving to be better in every regard. And I think this fear or this, this is a fear, there's a real fear that if we take away that uh, belief system of needing to continually improve and be better, that what have we got? Like, are we just going to be these doll bludgers sitting, you know, doing nothing or, you know, that can be some of the things that people say or I'm just going to be lazy and sit on the couch and watch a, you know, entire, I don't know, whatever. But the reality is so different. Like what, what if we let go of that belief system and there was just a whole lot of self-acceptance and self-love from where we are mm. and from there we can grow like yeah. rather than just that like always external something else something more is going to make me you know feel that what if we just felt it what if it just was you know mm. what if we came from that place would we not be more spectacular like so it's just a fascinating dichotomy that we have around this you yeah. know hectic striving culture yeah totally I like to think about it um and I spoke in my last um podcast episode about um love versus fear I read the book mm. um, you know by Marianne Williamson and mm. love and that had a massive impact on me and it's in in some ways I can see it like you know the doing 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 it's almost coming from this place of fear because if I don't do, then what am I? Everything's going to fall apart and I can't bear that. Mm. Whereas the other side is being and then doing from that being place, mm. which is 
actually, like you said, that full acceptance and that kind of that love place. And then mm. from that place, it's like a completely different energy that you bring mm. to what you do. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it also creates a whole different perspective of what we are what we are doing, you know. I think we rarely stop to actually think about what we're seeking to achieve. You know, I've, I'm really in love with Johan Hari um, and he wrote a book called The Lost Connection um, or Lost Connections and he talks a lot about, you know, how extrinsically focused we are and how our values are so extrinsically focused and there is nothing wrong with extrinsic values, you know. But we've got we've gotten so far down that spectrum of extrinsic, and there, there's very little internal values or intrinsic values anymore. And he likes to call them junk values, you know. And we're just so bombarded with media and and PR as to what will make us happy that we've lost the idea or the notion that we could feel that just by having that self love or that self acceptance or that just being you know with in connection with people um so yeah i think a lot about what it is that mindfulness is so important about is not about relaxation it's not even about achieving some beautiful mind state it's about just stopping and paying attention to what it is that we're doing right in this moment you know and and working from there because we seem to have just gotten on autopilot and we're off and we're not thinking about this stuff yeah yeah so true so true and it's um you you know what's something that you said there um is this sense of like i am worthy just as i am yeah without the other stuff the other stuff comes from that place Mm. i'm worthy right here so whether i'm productive or not i'm still worthy and i think we've kind of got caught up with thinking i'm only worthy if i achieve this or i'm only worthy Mm. if you know and it's kind of like but through the practice of mindfulness and you know all of these techniques you can start to feel into that place yeah Definitely. And I think the other piece that is just so lacking at the moment is also that community. I think we're so isolated that, again, I come back to that idea of we all take it so personally. We think we're the only person that's deficient. And we look on Instagram and we look outside and we go, everyone else is just up here and we are not. And so that that lack comes from there. Whereas if we fostered like community and authenticity and the realness like and recognize that we're all in that same place of not feeling good enough something really profound happens because if we're all not feeling good enough then maybe that's just a common human state and we need to just like you know divert or or find different ways to kind of sense into that rather than you know just looking outside of ourselves constantly to to seek it yeah so yeah i think the connection piece is really important as well yeah yeah massively and it's almost like you know at the start of this um podcast you know you said your morning routine involves connect to self connect Mm. the people that are important and you know connect then with the broader world because of what you do you know and it's kind of like from self and then it goes out from that place rather than everything from outside and then and not spending any time inside yeah, yeah. Point. so beautiful. All right, so I would love to talk to you a little bit about what you're doing in the corporate space. Um, so I know that you have a new program that you're running. Can you talk a little bit about that and where it kind of comes from? Well, so I guess it kind of just is so much around this idea of um, paying attention. You know, I think with there's so many people out there selling mindfulness you know it's the next buzz thing and we've got you know a huge array of people that um yeah maybe selling it in a well not selling it in a different way but just maybe misinterpreting it like we do get stuck in this notion that it's about relaxation or it's about you know um stopping the mind from talking um or or getting all you know messy but for me what we need to do more than anything is just stop and pay attention to what's going on right in this moment in every aspect of our life. So we developed Reclaiming Awareness, which is um, the program that's 
for corporates and it's for public, but our corporate offering is the one that we're kind of launching at the moment. And it faces into eight issues that we're fundamentally facing as a society, but obviously as a society, people are working and so we're seeing the same issues in workplaces. So it's like the art of switching off because we've all lost the art of switching off. We, we, we don't turn off our phones, we don't turn off ourselves, you know. The avoiding burnout, so this whole conversation that we've already been having, like how do I get out of that notion of busy and, 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 and adrenaline and actually, you know, manage or become more discerning around my stress. Um, disconnecting to connect. How do we actually interface with digital in this new era where digital seems to kind of run our lives? How can we explore it, stop, take a, a bit of a break and go, what do I actually want with my interfacing in digital? So it's eight, the human factor, like in connection. So all these different um, kind of programs that are, are fundamentally human issues that um, we're now launching. So they're kind of masterclasses and then also, you know, courses in in just paying attention to our lives. Yeah. Oh, that sounds amazing. And so how long is the, the program? Well, so basically we've got um, eight of these offerings, so eight masterclasses, but then they can also be developed into, you know, um, course courses so we've got obviously a full eight-week course which is very similar to the eight-week mindfulness-based stress reduction course but then like you know if we have organizations that come to us and say we're really struggling with engagement you know or we're really struggling with change and uncertainty at the moment we've we've pulled together you know the the top five master classes for that so that we can kind of step the you know people through that to kind of help them face into some of the challenges we're meeting you know so good. And what sort of feedback have you had from, um, you know, corporations that you work with on the MBSR and, you know, this new program that you're um, rolling out, you know, what, what sort of changing within their corporate culture, what, what, what are people saying? Well, so we're working with a, a really large multinational at the moment. We've been doing a pilot program with about maybe 400 of their staff and we've been working with them since Jen. And I've just finished um, the pilot research and basically their stress levels that we've, um, we were surveying each of them at the beginning and the end, um, their stress levels have decreased by 12%. Their levels of trait mindfulness have increased by around 6 or 7%, which is quite remarkable. But the anecdotal evidence is just like amazing. They are just finding that having these tools are enabling them to switch off from work, which is so necessary. Employers want people to switch off from work because they're so much more productive and so much less likely to um, have in injury or, you know, mental health issues. So the, the ability to switch off, the ability to relate to their loved ones or their team members, the ability to see that human connection and, and, and feel like they can actually um, meet uncomfortable conversations with more empathy and and more humanness like it's just profound to like hear you know these these changes that uh, from very little interaction really you know maybe three lots of two-hour master classes with these people amazing that's mm. so so incredible and i think it's so great that corporations are now getting on boards and seeing the value of this mm. and they're investing in their staff for this and mm. obviously it has the advantage of you know when people are happier and they've got more space and all of that then they you know they are more productive but also from the perspective of like we're humans we have hearts you know mm -hmm. we are not machines we are not machines and the thing is is with technology and this kind of rat race thing we can become almost like machines and um, yeah and totally. And I think it's fascinating, like there's a Gallup study, which has looked at like all around the world, like the average level of engagement in a workplace, and it's 30%. So that means that 70% of people are basically going to work just to get a paycheck to go home. And that just feels so fundamentally sad to me, because we spend like 90,000 hours of our lifetime at work. Like, wow. we need to address this. Like, it's and it is it's that human factor like it's not just 
the workplace that's the problem. It's the whole of the way that we're interacting as a society, I guess. So yeah. having workplaces on board and knowing that they have to do something. Yeah. And, of course, mental health really plays into that. Mm-hmm. You know, we're now facing one in four people with mental health issues. Like that is significantly impacting workplaces. So it's no longer just a nice-to-have and it's no longer about just putting on a bowling event. It's like a necessity to equip our people with um, tools that are going to enable them to to face into our current reality, which is quite trying. Mm, yeah, yeah, totally, totally. And I can definitely say that, you know, incorporating mindfulness techniques, you know, having the tools and, you know, mixing that with yoga and everything has completely changed my life. Mm, yeah. And like you said, you know, the, you know, the tough times in life, they're, they're, they're part of life, you know, the difficulties, yeah. challenges, the losses, all of the things, they're still going to happen. But mm. having the tools and knowing that one, we're not alone, that mm. you know, the, the types of thoughts that we're having and everything, there are other people out there having exactly the same sort of thoughts and that there's nothing wrong with us. And just knowing that mm. can really just um, relieve a lot of that stress, but also yeah, tools to just best manage it and can make all the difference. Yeah, absolutely. And the the funny thing is, like, it's just, it's such a strange thing that it wasn't something that was just taught to us at school or when we're young, you know, and it's just such a fundamental part of being, you know, human. Um, And it just seems like something that we, yeah, we are lacking. But, um, you know, it is beautiful to see this huge movement of Mm. of people, you know, recognising that, yeah, these tools just help, you know, us live more easeful lives. Yeah, for sure. Mm. Amazing. Thank you so much, Mariah Kay. I've absolutely loved this um, conversation. And, you know, I just really want to say thank you to you as well for, you know, what you are doing and, um, you know, the the passion that you have for what you do and, you know, bringing these practices into the, the corporate space and, um, you know, the other spaces in which you work, because this is really, you know, one part of what I feel is really going to take a, make a massive shift in terms of, um, you know, changing how we interact with ourselves and with one another. Thank you, Claire. And, yeah, I feel the same way. I feel like, you know, it's no longer, um, it does feel like a bit of a state of urgency. Um, And so, yeah, it it does feel um, great to be part of just trying to change the the way that we are interfacing. Yeah, so it's been a pleasure talking to you too. So thank you so much for inviting me onto your show. Thanks so much. And so I'll put all of your social handles and your website and all of those information about um, Raike's um, programs and things like that. So if you're interested, all the information will be in the show notes and on my website. And there you have it. Thank you so much for listening. And I do hope that you enjoyed this episode and gained some new insights. If you're enjoying this podcast, please do share it with friends you think may benefit from the message. And if you'd like to rate the show and give it a review on iTunes, not only would I be so happy, but this will also help increase the show's visibility so that more people can benefit from the messages. I would love to connect with you. So you can find me on Instagram. My handle is underscore Claire with an I and an E Bradshaw underscore. I so totally can't wait to connect with you soon. Have a beautiful day.